0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The conservative review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Miniman, to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, Friday. We love our Fridays because we are worn out, uh, but we have accomplished a lot this week. We have so much to talk about. Terrific guest today. We've talked a lot about what goes on outpatient, the war on early treatment against COVID, the clot shots, what goes on in our hospitals? I don't even want to find out, but we're going to find out later today with our special guest. But you know what? We don't need to even imagine what is going on. Because what we see in plain sight with what they're doing with the clot shots is shocking. They, we now have it confirmed based on a preponderance of evidence, that what these guys are doing is not only are they shoving it on young children that don't even need it, something that is so dangerous for them, but it is making the pandemic worse. It is making the virus stronger. And the more they shove it, the more it's going to make it stronger. Which is, which is why it's so important you get in your medicine cabinet Ways to treat yourself right away. You take the prophylaxis of the vitamin D and NAC and things like that, uh, C-zinc, quercetin. Again, you don't have to take each one every day, but make sure you get your levels up. We'll talk about that a little later. But there is a bomb, bomb, um, uh, not study, but but surveillance report out from Public Health in England. They come out every Thursday. It's week 42 Alex Berenson, terrific eye, found on page 23 of that report where they now basically let the cat out of the bag that not only does the shot give you suboptimal antibodies, but because it gives you suboptimal antibodies, it likely teaches your B cells, which remember the recipe to to produce the antibodies, um, to do stupid things and produce suboptimal antibodies. And it likely slides your natural immunity back. Meaning, if you get the virus, but then you get the shot, and then some of you are asking, well, what if you get the shot and you get the virus afterwards? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if that makes a difference. But it likely negates your natural immunity. Now, as a, and, and I'm seeing plenty of people get the virus again if they had the shot. Now, usually it's very, very mild. The question is, the more they make the shots, the more it creates suboptimal antibodies that the virus just eats up and gobbles up and gets stronger, is it going to become strong enough that people who even had a first go-around are going to start having problems? So we're going to explore that. You know, we always like being on target here, on target, focusing on the right issue at the right time the right way. Well, you got to do that with your firearms training as well. Um, this would make a good time with uh, Christmas season coming as a gift to your friend iTarget it's a revolutionary dry fire practice system with your actual firearm that allows you in the comfort of your own home, the privacy of your home to practice on a target that, that your iPhone, you download the iTarget app and it renders the targets. So you could practice the muscle memory, the five point draw from the holster and time yourself. You could uh, um, you practice the sight alignment, picture alignment, um, smooth trigger pull. You get everything except for the kickback, but you shouldn't be anticipating that anyway. Um, this is very important for those of you coming out on our next front site trip. You're gonna want to get yourself an eye target. It's so again, it's a dummy laser bullet. Fits in your your nine uh, millimeter, forty five cal, also rifle rounds for your AR two two three, and it is it is literally a way to save money because ammo is a fortune. You know, it's good once in a while to practice with real ammo, but let's face it. I used to down 400 rounds at each trip. I can't do that anymore. So this way, literally within one practice, you make back your money. Um, It it might be even less than $100 with the promo code. You go to itargetpro.com, save 10% plus, get free shipping with offer code CR as in conservative review. That's the letter I, targetpro.com, itargetpro.com, R for code, C-R. So this piece here, okay, it is on page 23, okay, of Public Health England. So if you want to Google Public Health England COVID-19 Vaccine Surveillance Report Week 42, that's the latest week, Week 42 of 2021, They have a shocking finding. So basically, they talk about quantifying the number of people with prior infection with their surveillance, their antibody testing, and they notice something interesting. They say, there are several reasons we believe we are lowballing the number of people with prior infection. That there's a greater number of people with prior infection than, than show up in the serology tests. Why? One of the reasons, reason number three, is a real bombshell recent observations from uk health security agency surveillance data show that n antibody levels n is for nucleocapsid by the way n antibody levels appear to be lower in individuals who acquire infection following two doses of vaccination so actually they're saying that the negation we're talking about, it's not just that you have prior infection and then you get the vaccine. If anything, it might be more the other way. You have the vaccine, then you get the infection. Let me first explain what they're talking about, and then let me explain why this is ter- this is the most terrifying news we've ever heard at all over the over the course of this pandemic. So what they're just saying basically is that there's a lot of um there there's a, there's s antibodies and there's n antibodies s is the spike protein antibodies those are the antibodies you get from the vaccine um it only recognizes the spike it's only for the spike so it's only going to recognize the spike they're s antibodies um n antibodies are more comprehensive they recognize the whole nucleo nu, nucleocapsid that's the n so that's when you have prior infection, you get the natural immunity, which is, um, aside from the T-cells, the memory B-cells are going to produce a recipe with, n- with not just like the narrow-spectrum spike antibodies, but the nucleocapsid antibodies. So what they're saying is, the fact that we only see, let's say, X amount of N antibodies in our survey of serology tests that we're doing on the people, that's probably not the full universe of people that had prior infection because likely there was a whole nother universe that had prior infection but if they also got the vaccine then it destroys their n antibodies and they're only left with s antibodies and they look like a person who is vaccinated without natural immunity even though they had prior infection that is terrifying because what that means is this um we're in a race against the clock the more they vaccinate the more it strengthens this virus to become eventually like Ebola, except Ebola that sh- spreads like a cold. And that, I mean, I, I my, my brain doesn't even want to think about what that means, right? The more you have a narrow spectrum, leaky, garbage, suboptimal antibodies, the more you have the Trojan horse effect, some version of vi- uh, vaccine-mediated enhancement, um, perhaps some form of antibody uh, dependent disease enhancement, and you get a super infection that um, um, Luck Mulpernere and uh, uh, Gert Vandenbosch and Robert Malone and Ryan Cole have all been warning about. So, what's happening here is that if you think about it, we figure that, okay. So we're going to get one round of this devastating uh, Pfizer variant, which devastated America South. And then the North now has to get it and is in the process of getting it. But then we'll be done because then so many people would have ha- gotten it and we'll be done. And, you know, I've even heard, uh, you know, people that are somewhere in the middle on this say, look, the vaccine's garbage, it's leaking, it's not working. But for some people that are still within the window – of at least defraying serious illness, it actually, ironically, will help them because it's not good. They're gonna get the virus because it doesn't block it, but some of them will still have the protection. I mean, now, increasingly fewer people, but this was a few months ago, I heard this, and they'll, they'll get lifelong immunity, not because of the stupid shot, but because of natural immunity, and we'll be done with this. But what if all the people that are vaccinated which is overwhelmingly almost all adults, have a phenomenon where it doesn't matter if they had prior infection. Where the vaccine will negate the benefits of the prior infection. Then you're left with just the immunity of people that had prior infection and no shot, which is a very small percentage of people in most Western countries. Okay? I shudder to think what that means. Now, as of now, that might mean, so at a here's what it means at a minimum. At a minimum, it's a vicious cycle and the pandemic's gonna keep going on because they're gonna keep getting it and keep spreading it. Now, as a baseline, and I'm certainly seeing this anecdotally, it doesn't deplete, even if it, it depletes your N uh, antibodies, but it shouldn't harm completely, presumably at least, your T-cells so you should be getting, you should still have some sort of safety net. But if it's non-sterilizing and you could still get it and spread it, what if? And 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 then we vaccinate the children, vaccinate with the boosters, vaccinate, boom, 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 boom. What if that makes the virus so strong that it starts negating that, and then all these people could get critically ill? I shudder to think what they're doing. This is criminal. You couldn't have made this up, which is why it's not made up, which is why it's not by accident, because you couldn't do this by accident. Everything they have done from start to finish not only didn't work, not only blocked what did work, but at every turn made the virus the worst possible. There's no way that couldn't have been done by design. And indeed, we now know the virus was created by design. So it's not a, a jump to think that everything they would do in response would make it worse and by design. Again, perfect analogy, they threw us in a building, locked the doors, set it on fire, and then ensured that there was no avenue of escape. And, that no, and, and, they, and they, they're working desperately to make sure nobody could escape it and become a control group and live to tell the tale. Again, the basic, the way the science works is this. S antibodies are narrow spectrum. So they're slower acting and they don't sterilize. They don't stop the spread of the virus. n antibodies are more full spectrum sterilizing and they're quicker acting. So when you get natural infection, you have the T cell immunity, the um which is the innate immunity, but you also have the humoral um acquired immunity from the infection uh with n um the n uh, antibodies, the nucleocapsid antibodies, and then you know, even if they wane over time, which they do, the B cells, that's the other component of the humoral system, uh, remembers the recipe and could spit them out quickly. What if? What if? This is destroying that. The shot is destroying that. Okay. Now I want you guys to think. They're shoving this on children. You're taking children. That can now get the virus on the cheap and get beautiful immunity for the rest of their lives. And you're blocking that immunity. Think about that for a moment. Think about that. Truly, truly unbelievable. Remember, this is not the first warning. I see it anecdotally, but we had a pre-printed study in March from Hospital La Paz in Madrid and Mount Sinai in New York, very prestigious. And in a shocking discovery, after monitoring a group of vaccinated people, both with and without prior infection, they found, quote, In individuals with pre-existing immunity against SARS-CoV-2, the second vaccine dose not only failed to boost humoral immunity, that's the acquired B-cell immunity, but determines a contraction of the spike-specific T-cell response. They also note, that other research has shown that the second vaccination dose appears to exert a detrimental effect in the overall magnitude of the spike-specific humoral response in COVID-19-recovered individuals. So basically, in plain English, they're saying it both depletes your B cells, which produce those N antibodies, and the innate response, which is the, uh, the, the T cells. They already said that. And now you have the English data seeing that in the serology tests. G, And now they're getting third shots. Now they're pushing it on kids. And by the way, some of you might have seen, it's beautiful, they have, yesterday they had a study, oh, boosters are 95% effective. Today, oh, now we have the 5 to 11 year old study. Oh, uh, no, over 90% effective. You know what's funny? In both of them, just like yesterday, we talked about the boosters with kids, zero deaths in both the control and the, and the study group. It's a complete joke. It's a complete joke. You know what they actually found? they found that per known mild overall infection, there were zero cases of severe COVID-19 in both groups. And by the way, there was zero case of reinfection. So maybe that's good news. But on the flip side, on the on the risk side, I can't believe they write this. On the safety side, Monitoring The number of participants in the current clinical development program is too small to detect any potential risk of myocarditis association associated with vaccination. Long-term safety of COVID-19 vaccine participants, 5 to 12 years of age, will be studied in five post-authorization safety studies, including a five-year follow-up. So right now, jab them with something that there is zero absolute risk reduction. They go on, on relative risk reduction, but there's zero absolute zero severe illness in both the control and the and the uh, study group. But in terms of myocarditis, we'll tell you in five years from now. Well, you know what? We'll get the vaccine in five years from now. Bastards, these people. Terrible, terrible people. Truly, truly unbelievable. Now, today's guest uh, segment is sponsored by ConstitutionCoach.com, our friends at Patriot Academy, um, I really look forward to meeting some of you in just a little over a week's time out in Front Nevada, for our constitutional handgun defensive training class, uh, two-day and four-day classes there. I will be there for, for just half the time this time, but you will be able to meet me. I will speak there um, during our constitution training. We'll be there on the range, training together, clearing malfunctions, drawing from the holster, feeling comfortable making um, – two two shots to the chest head shots from all different yardages very much needed for all of your training whether you're a novice or you know you, you're 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 a cop you're a law enforcement everyone has found to benefit from this um right now uh that class is closed cuz it's it's only in a week from now but there are two other options now so you didn't if if you missed this there's November 28th. There's more classes starting. And then I believe December 2nd. So I think those are the two remaining ones for the remainder of this year. It's 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 really nice to go out that time of year because it's not freezing there um yet, but it's not, you don't have the desert heat anymore. So it's a really, really nice weather, beautiful country there out in front Sight. So again, go to constitutioncoach.com to find out. You get 90% off front sights training so a two thousand dollar course that's what it costs is 150 bucks obviously you got the travel arrangements your accommodations the ammo it is going to add up but it's worth it let me tell you it is worth it if you can swing it looking forward to seeing you all there now as i mentioned we've spent a lot of time talking about keeping people out of the hospital and that is our goal and my commitment and, you know, we'll talk about next Monday, like I said, we do have a promo code for our compounding pharmacy, we're gonna be able to get you prescriptions and treatment all in one within one to two days um, for ivermectin and nitazoxinide as well, possibly in the future other things we are working on that. And that is coming down very soon. But you know, a lot of you have loved ones in the hospital. And these are the most heartbreaking emails, it's kind of like, the messages of people trapped in the World Trade Center above the impact line. And it's like, man, what do you do? I mean, they're hostage there. You know they're giving them... Maltreatment is not even the word for it. Um, and it is it is shocking that there aren't more hearings and state legislatures on what is going on. This is not a blue state problem. This is a 50-state problem. It's going on in Texas and Florida and Alabama and South Carolina. I happen to know Spartanburg, South Carolina... It's going on there just, just as much as, as anywhere else. And shockingly, Republican legislatures have done nothing about this. I just published a blueprint of six broad topics and then sub-items, what we expect from red state legislators in a special session. First, they better have that special session. And one of the things is launching a full investigation into what's going on in the hospitals, interim Desevier, and based on the findings, banning that drug. With us today to discuss this and more is Dr. Brian Artis. I can't believe I, I've i never seen him before. I'm trying to always find new patriot doctors to bring on the show. And Dr. McCullough said to me, you're not doing COVID right if you're not having him on. Dr. Artis is a chiropractor. Um, he, use, he used to own and now consults on healing and wellness centers. Um, he has produced a whole bunch of health and wellness uh, items. And you can actually find them on his website, uh, DrArtisShow.com. Um, again, I used to laugh at this stuff uh, before COVID, and now I see, oh my gosh, all these type of doctors were dead on on COVID. What else were they right on? What else were we being lied to by the medical establishment? He's kind of like you know, you know these tev- uh, TV evangelists. So he's kind of a TV health wellness guy. Um, again, DrArtistShow.com. You could see he has a show. I can't believe I didn't know about it. I'm now gonna watch binge watch his videos. You could also follow Dr. Artist Show on Telegram as well. And with no further ado, Dr. Brian Artist, thanks so much for joining CR Podcast at Blaze Media today.
1: Daniel Horowitz, thank you so much for having me on the show. Well, I've heard of you before you heard
0: of me. Isn't that interesting? Well, so, it, no. it's, it's crazy I, I haven't. I will tell you.
1: It really it is, is. crazy that you haven't.
0: And I want you to start from the beginning. Obviously, you got into this from a personal story with your mother-in-law, with Remdesivir. Um, And I'm getting a ton of emails suggesting that we're trying to put together lawsuits. But I want you to start from the beginning for our audience. Could you give people a a broad sense of the history, politics, and mechanisms of action behind Remdesivir?
1: Yes. Okay, so I have been in the media nonstop since May 14th of 2020. And the reason why I went into the media and have been nonstop – on a crusade to keep as many Americans from going in the hospitals to be treated for COVID-19. I mean, that has been my message all along. In fact, I did not know, had never met, had never worked alongside Peter McCullough, Dr. Urso, none of these guys, Uh, Dr. Merritt. I didn't know these people. All I knew was when I saw the research studies that Anthony Fauci was quoting supported the use of remdesivir during the pandemic in a memo that he published on May 1st, 2020. I went through his whole memo, opened up two research studies he was quoting that supported this non-FDA approved experimental antiviral drug called remdesivir to be the only drug used on American citizens that are hospitalized for COVID and then bashed hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine. Uh, Daniel, this is what made me upset and I have been on fire ever since. I mean, when I say on fire... Peter McCullough texts me every morning and says this, keep your computer hot, stay in the media, this is the most important message still today, go, because they know the importance of early treatment, and not going into hospitals, it's a horrible idea to let people stay home and get really sick, and then eventually go into the hospital where they're going to put you on a drug called remdesivir that's going to shut down organs and make you have to be vented, so let's go to the history, here we go, this is what I learned, and this is what I've been exposing ever since. Anthony Fauci says, there's a study that was done with remdesivir from November 2018 to December 2019 on Ebola virus patients in Africa. And he said in the May 1st memo to all American hospitals and practitioners around the country and American citizens, this study, he said, against Ebola virus, remdesivir was proven to be and shown to be safe and effective against Ebola virus. Now, I went and clicked the study because I'd never heard of the drug, I clicked the study on May 14th, clicked it, went to the New England Journal of Medicine, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. There was four experimental drugs, Daniel, in that actual trial, four, and they separated them into four different regions of Africa. There was a safety board evaluating how safe the drugs were, because they're experimental, and the four drugs were these, and people should know this. This is very important. Remdesivir was one, put in by a company called Gilead in the study. And then the second drug was ZMAP. ZMAP was put in and financed by our United States Department of Health and Human Services. So they put that drug into the trial, and that's actually a triple monoclonal antibody, which you hear about in the media right now. Mm. It was in that trial. And then they had a third drug called MAB114. MAB stands for monoclonal antibody, and it was a single monoclonal antibody. And it was put in by DARPA, our own defense research department. They put it in there. And then the fourth drug was called Regeneron that you're hearing about right now because Governor DeSantis thinks it's a miracle. Regeneron, Regeneron was in that study, and it's a triple monoclonal antibody also. Now, Anthony Fauci said that it was proven, Remdesivir, to be safe and effective against Ebola. And as I'm reading the the, the actual study, when I get to the mortality section of that study, it's still, on, it's still online, everybody can look it. The safety board for the study in August of 2019, so eight months into the study, they found that of the four experimental drugs, there was only one that had a death rate over 50% of all people they gave it to. Guess which drug that was?
0: The one Fauci chose.
1: (laughs) Remdesivir. Remdesivir had a death rate of 53% of all people they gave that drug to. It was the only one that was that high. ZMAP, had a death rate of 49% of everybody they gave it to, and they pulled both ZMAP and Rimdesivir from the study on August 19th of 2019 and said these drugs are not proven safe or effective against the Ebola virus. They are too dangerous. We're taking them out, and no one else can get them. This study, Daniel, published in December of 2019, four and a half months before Anthony Fauci goes, Uh, Just so you all know, America, there's only one drug we're going to use during this pandemic. It's called remdesivir. It was proven safe and effective against the Ebola virus. Where where could people find
0: the December study?
1: The December study? Yes. All you got to do is type uh, in—actually, you can get my entire report with all of them in there, but uh, you can actually go to—just type in any search engine, Ebola virus trial remdesivir. Wow. Just just do a search, and it'll pull up on New England Journal of Medicine's website. And everyone needs to look at table— two inside that study. Just look up table two. Just click it, blow it up on your screen, and look at the death rates of all four of those drugs. And then it should become disgusting to you. My question was from the beginning, why did Anthony Fauci pick the most deadly, least effective drug in the whole study? Why didn't he pick one of the other three that had lower death rates? I mean, Regeneron had a death rate of 33%, and MAB-114 put in by DARPA had a death rate of 35%. Those death rates are way better than 53%. So anyway, I knew at this point Anthony Fauci was lying, right? He lied that it wasn't safe and effective. So then I wanted to know he quoted a second study that he said supported using it during COVID-19 for all Americans only, and I clicked that one. And, Daniel, this study was done in March of 2020. So three months after the Ebola trial was published in December, Gilead, who owns the patents for remdesivir, their own study on 53 COVID-19 positive patients. And these 53 patients were from Canada, America, and Japan. Now, the Ebola study, all four drugs were given to Ebola virus patients in Africa for 28 days. When they drugged those people for 28 days with remdesivir, over half of them died, 53% of them. It was found not to be safe and effective. Three months after that study publishes, Gilead decides they're going to give COVID-19 virus patients 10 days of remdesivir. I'm glad they did 10 because they realized from the study that just ended three months earlier, their drug was killing over half the people they gave it to for 28 days of poisoning. So then they do remdesivir for 10 days in 53 patients with COVID-19. And the results, I couldn't believe. I opened that one, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. And I'll tell you why it was so disturbing. If you look up this study, look up cohort study study remdesivir 53 COVID-19 patients. And that'll pull up that study also. It's on the New England Journal of Medicine's website. But read the conclusions. They found that within 10 days of remdesivir treatment in 53 COVID-19 patients, and this is two months before Anthony Fauci says these two studies prove this drug to be safe and effective. We're going to use it during this pandemic only in all hospitals in America. They found 23% of all 53 COVID-19 patients experienced in 10 days multiple organ failure and acute kidney failure. 8% of them couldn't even stay on the drug for 10 days because some of them needed a kidney transplant because remdesivir shut down their kidneys so badly, and they experienced such severe liver failure they were going to die, so they had to come off the drug before 10 days went by. So between days 5 and 10, 8% had to be taken off the drug completely because it was too dangerous and their life was threatened. And this is the drug that Anthony Fauci says these two studies support its use. And I knew right away.
0: Well, well, they do support its use. I I mean, I I guess if we follow the pattern of what they're trying to do, I guess the studies work for what it is. But I mean, let me just repackage this for our audience. So what you're basically saying is this. Their whole beef against... Um, ivermectin is that despite the fact that it was considered one of the greatest inventions in 50 years of medicine, but what it was great for was a different thing and now you're trying to repurpose it. What they did it was also a repurposed drug, but it was repurposed from the trash bin of what <laughs> bombed out on the previous thing rather than winning a Nobel Prize on the previous thing and they're like, "Hey, let's take the road show onto COVID now with this thing." And and you're saying part of the issue is that um they smartly didn't use it outpatient because if you use the outpatient, you couldn't miss everyone dying. So they do it in the hospital. No one knows what's going on. And, and the lung failure kind of mixes with the kidneys and the liver and it all comes together. So, yeah, they died of COVID. But correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. No, dude.
1: they did No, they they didn't die from COVID. I'm, I'm telling you what they died of. You want me to tell you? This is what I knew. I knew when Anthony Fauci selected this protocol, this is what he was doing. They found a drug proven in the Ebola study. By the way, the entire Ebola study, why I knew Anthony Fauci was lying to the American public. Anthony Fauci, as the director of the NIAID department of the NIH, that was the only department that funded the entire Ebola study. So he knew the entire study he oversaw. (laughs) So I knew that this one-year study on Ebola was the rehearsal dinner for how he was going to actually handle the pandemic. I knew that's what he was doing.
0: And now we and know they is knew what about I it.
1: I knew he was going to do. This is what he was going to do. He found a drug that would cause acute kidney failure.
0: So, this before we found? get before we get more into the medical side, the hospital side, of your mother-in-law, I want to get to that um we're, uh, just want to pace our time here cuz there's so much important sure. stuff you're giving over. Um just to back up to the history of this. Could you explain to the audience so w- the origin of this thing? I, I thought UNC Chapel Hill originally had it, which interestingly enough is ground zero for Burrick's lab and the gain-of-function research, which is kind of funny, the only drug to support the thing that came out you know, with the gain-of-function for ACE2 binding to spike protein of a coronavirus. Kind of interesting mm-hmm. there. How did Gilead get a hold of it from UNC Chapel Hill?
1: Yeah, so that history goes back to a trade name of Vulkery, V-U-L-K-E-R-E-Y. And this actual drug, which is also remdesivir, it's actually failed four human trials before the Ebola trial. It actually didn't even make it through any of them, and it was considered to be an antiviral. And yes, there's a connection to Barrick at UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, but that's that I don't really go a lot into, even though I have the entire history of it. I have a whole publication on the entire history because it is a disgusting, dangerous, multiple, multiple organ-failing drug from the beginning. It's never been FDA-approved, safe, or effective in the 20 years of its existence. It's only proven to be fatal and causing death in everybody they give it to. So it's never been allowed to be FDA-approved. It was only pushed as an emergency use authorization by Anthony Fauci in May 2020.
0: Uh, This is is too much. This is... This is devastating, and I, I'll admit I've only been—I've been late to the party. Only the last couple of months. All along, I just thought it was a dud. You know, it's an inflammatory stage, and you're nope. using an antiviral, so it can't work. Nope. I didn't realize it was worse than a dud until till a couple of months ago. So, so could you um, walk me through just from a clinical standpoint? One of the things that bothered me from day one with this virus is that. You know, it definitely. It, I believe it is a bioweapon. It was planned clearly. Gain of function research. The ACE2 binding is very aggressive. It has a aggressive potential to really create a strong cytokine storm. But you know, we always we ha, we've had people come into hospitals for years with pneumonia, COPD. Their SATs are in the low 90s at that point. Sometimes 90, 89. And most of them, if they're not at the end of their life, if they're at the end of their life, it often kills them. But if they're 50s, 60s, especially people in their 50s and 60s, they're clearly not at the end of their life. They're getting a degree of a cytokine storm. It's not good, but but typically they would walk out of the hospital. So, you know, I never understood why, you know, after two, three weeks we couldn't get a handle on this and 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 treat it. Could you walk through our audience the progression clinically what happens? A guy comes in, his SATs are 92. He's starting to have pressure, trouble breathing. Um, it's not just the flu anymore. It's a, it's a COVID pneumonia, a little bit of a cytokine storm. They give him remdesivir as the first thing. What happens then? What's the yes, progression?
1: Immediately. Immediately they do that. And this is, this is what I knew. Every death certificate, let's just start with the ending. Ready? Every death certificate I've seen since April 2021, and I have thousands of them being sent to me every day because lots of people are about to sue a whole bunch of hospitals over these protocols. Uh, Okay, so this is what's on there. It'll say complications from COVID-19 is the number one cause of death. Number two is acute kidney failure. Number three is secondary COVID pneumonia. I have said since May 2020, they're going to call it death by pneumonia from COVID-19. It's not death from pneumonia. It's actually poisoning their kidneys to death, shutting them down, flooding their lungs with water. It is not pneumonia. It's pulmonary edema from kidney failure. And this is exactly how they're going to drown your loved ones to death in hospitals using this drug, but they're going to call it pneumonia. And I said, from the beginning, I've said this nonstop. When your doctor tells you that your loved one now is in pneumonia stages after being put on remdesivir and they need to vent them, you need to demand a sputum test from them to determine is it bacterial or viral pneumonia. And this is what I said in May, 2020. And when the doctors look at you and say, that is not hospital protocol, you know they're killing your loved one to death with pulmonary edema because that is how you determine if it's bacterial or viral pneumonia. You cannot decipher from an x-ray, which is all they're doing, to if it's a bacterial or a viral pneumonia. You can't tell that from x-rays at all. So this is the you blood test? To, do a test? to determine it. No, you just do a sputin test. You just spit mucus, pus out of your throat, or they can swab your throat mm-hmm. and look for the bacterial or viral pneumonia that you're coughing up.
0: So can you you explain the dichotomy there between, you know, what it would indicate if it's a bacterial pneumonia?
1: Yeah. If it's a bacteria in the lungs, that would be nosocomial infection, which means you got it from the hospital. Like you're breathing in bacterial air in the hospital. Mm -hmm. What type of infection is SARS-CoV-2 that creates the cytokine storm, Daniel? It's viral. Is it it bacterial, viral, fungus, parasitic? It's It's viral. So if it's viral... The only reason why you would have bacteria now accumulating in the mucus is if you're breathing in bacteria and we know bacterial pneumonia is a threat anytime you're in a hospital especially if you got any other issues going and on they and they won't give them azithromycin either
0: in. right they won't a give them a, yeah they won't give them that so they cr- that. They create the bacterial pneumonia and then won't give them that. So you're, you're saying, again, because I've been very puzzled. You have people, they're not feeling well, they're not in good shape. But when I say not in good shape, it's on par with what we've seen. I think a million people a year I've seen go to the hospital uh, from some statistics uh, for, for pneumonia in a given year. And and again, except for the ones that are at the end of their live, lives, a lot of them do die from it. But if you're in your 50s and 60s, all these men, middle-aged men that come in, their sats are in the low 90s, and then they just decelerate rapidly. So you're saying that's because the remdesivir causes kidney failure, maybe some liver toxicity. And and so, so could you just describe what that does and how that ties into the lungs?
1: Sure. Yeah, so patients come in with the cytokine storm. Let's just define what that is. You've got these overabundant antibodies or cells in your body called macrophages, and they're attacking. It's all the mucus you're producing to try to attack this SARS-CoV-2 virus, and it's— spike proteins you just breathe into your lungs, and it's just unchecked. You're just getting a bunch of mucus in there. And you're having a hard time breathing. can't get your oxygen levels up, and people are afraid they're dying or drowning or can't breathe, so they go to the hospital. very first thing they're going to do is put you on remdesivir. Remdesivir, starting on day one, starts the process of shutting down your kidneys. The very first thing they do when you go in there, they're going to put in an IV bag, right, an IV drip, and they're going to shove salt water into your veins then they're gonna put remdesivir into your veins and remdesivir shuts down your kidneys. When you shut down the kidneys, the kidneys are the only organ in the body to excrete water through urine. So as they're pumping you full of saline water out of a bag, at the same time, they're shutting down your kidneys and you can't excrete the water. Then the water backs up into your abdomen, goes around your heart, sits, there's a sac your heart sits inside of called the pericardium. It fills up with the water your body can't get rid of. And then it starts flooding into your lungs. And they start drowning you to death. And then they tell you within a 48 to 72 hour period, we have to vent you. Why? Because your oxygen levels are dropping. Why? You not only have mucus in your lungs, you're now being flooded with water. They're putting into you and shutting down your kidneys with another drug. So this is the entire process, the death protocol by chemical poisoning inside the hospitals every day, all day since May 1st, 2020. When you said earlier that COVID-19 was causing deaths. No, no, no. They created a bioweapon called SARS-CoV-2, and they thought that it was going to be so deadly it was going to kill 22 million people worldwide. When it was failing at killing people (laughs) since November of 2019, when they realized people were surviving, they had to come up with a protocol, hospitalized protocol, that would do it for them. They were just going to misdiagnose it and call it something else. So these patients are dying from acute kidney failure and pulmonary edema, water in their lungs, drowning them to death with from desovere poisoning. But they're calling it COVID pneumonia, which is why I've been telling everybody, make sure you make your doctor get a sputum test done. Because if you can get them to do that, it won't come back positive for bacterial or viral pneumonia. And guess what you just exposed? That they've been lying to you. It was so- never pneumonia.
0: They're drowning your
1: loved ones to death with water, let me, their own water and their own bodily fluids.
0: L- let me challenge you a little bit. I don't doubt anything you're saying. I've certainly been saying this for months um, that a certain percentage are dying from remdesivir. But but as a layman in medicine, oh, yeah. there's two questions that that come to mind based on what you're saying. Um, number one, you know, d- before SARS-CoV-2 and and remdesivir. Wasn't there always a concept and a risk, just regardless of even a a viral infection inducing bacterial pneumonia, kind of like with the um, Spanish flu? And that's why a lot of the Patriot doctors, even outpatient, were out of the gate trying to prescribe azithromycin just to foreclose that. I'm saying couldn't some of the bacterial pneumonia come, come from that as well? Naturally.
1: Sure. And we're breathing in bacteria every day. You're right. In the air. So you so, so I mean I'm just I just wanted to point that
0: out neurons. that some of it is yeah. some of it is legit. But again, that's also malpractice that they're not uh, giving azithromycin. We've actually had outpatient oh, yeah. some pharmacies deny azithromycin if they think it's for COVID. So that's part of this genocide that we're talking about. But also just the the more serious question, my impression, and I wanna see if you disagree with this, of the virus, again, putting Remdesivir aside. Let's say it didn't exist, and, and certainly like in New York City in March when it was very bad there in the hospitals and they weren't using remdesivir yet. They weren't doing what's right, but they weren't using remdesivir. I thought that just the way this bioweapon was created, it did have more of an ability than a typical pneumonia to take a guy whose sats are you know not great. They're in the low 90s and then have a hyper inflammatory response with this really aggressive cytokine storm that could really just get the guy to crash. So that my, my question yeah. is, how do you tell how much of it is from the bioweapon that naturally seems to really induce this unprecedented the cytokine storm, and how much of it is from the kidney failure, fluids backing up into the lungs?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So there has been, from the beginning, we know there are some people who experience other organ system destruction or inflammation from SARS-CoV-2, outside of the lungs they call it extra pulmonary disease from the virus or the bioweapon and they include things like the liver the kidneys the spleen the heart and it's very interesting because people would say to me i'm going to fact check you dr artist and i'd go great on what and they'd go that severe is causing acute kidney failure and this is what i've always said 30 percent of the deaths from covid 19 in this country can be actually uh are from the treatment for COVID-19 in the hospitals. I didn't say 70%. I said, guaranteed 30% of all of them are complications from acute kidney failure, yes. causing secondary pulmonary edema, drowning these people to death. And they needed to kill a whole bunch of Americans to convince them for the next agenda, which was COVID-19 is deadly, and you need to get our vaccine. So
0: and, this and, is and where then I obviously I this for you. Obviously, there's the third leg, like you're saying. So they go ahead and... Um, they, they thought this thing would be more deadly like SARS-1, which you wonder what's the history behind SARS-1 now. That's all another discussion. Um, but then it didn't pan out the way they wanted. A lot of people got it asymptomatic. It was very quirky. A lot of people seemed to have some sort of partial inherent cross-immunity. Um, and, and, you know, it wasn't working out. Outside of New York City, weren't having that many problems. So they come up with their M-desivir. But then there's the third leg, obviously, which is, Trapping people in the burning building and blocking all exits, so now we have to make sure they can't treat it outside the hospital. So you must pass through the Remdesivir cave in order to to get to get treatment, and it all kind of comes together. I just wanted to reiterate for people: we're not saying that that COVID cannot be deadly on its own to anyone, especially elderly people. But my supposition, I want to see if you agree, is particularly and increasingly, we're hearing f- people in their 40s you know, ha- not come out of the hospital. Those people really strike me as I really wonder if they're doing them in. And you're, again, to clarify, you're, you're testifying to our audience today that you are seeing death certificates that will have, we know there's lines, there's line one, line two, line three, and, and progression of what is the most direct immediate cause of death. And you're saying you are seeing kidney failure sometimes before COVID pneumonia.
1: No, most of them have, a, it has complications of COVID-19. And then it says acute kidney failure, and then it states COVID pneumonia.
0: That doesn't make sense and th- right
1: this, there. Need, and, yep, and then I need to uh, clear this up for you guys. So when we say that SARS-CoV-2 can cause trauma to the entire body or multiple systems in the body and can be deadly, just remember this virus went around the entire world. Seven billion people got it. And less than 1% of all of them died. Less than one still all, of all people. Less than one. Less than one. Now, they did a World Health Organization database study. Now, if SARS-CoV-2, the virus, the bioweapon, causes multiple organ failure in in all people that they get it, the infection, if the virus by itself does that, you need your audience to go look at something. In April of 2021, there was a reporting odds ratio done in the World Health Organization's database, and they wanted to compare four drugs being used around the world— which included these, remdesivir for COVID-19 infected people in hospitals, hydroxychloroquine for COVID-19 infected hospitalized patients, tocilamuzab, which is being used in other countries around the world for COVID-19 infected people, and then lopinavir with COVID-19 sick patients. All they did was review all of the same level of illness with COVID-19 diseases, infections patients in the entire world, and they wanted to know, Of the four drugs being used for the same virus, and if the virus causes acute kidney failure and liver failure and not the drug, the actual reporting odds ratio came back equal. They all had the same virus. If you all go look at this, look at the World Health Organization's database review for remdesivir and acute kidney failure. Have you seen that yet, Daniel?
0: I have not. From April. Database review for acute... Kidney failure. So, so in yeah, other words, as a baseline, we know that the virus attacks the lungs and it has a, a you know, a thrombotic aspect to it too. But the liver and the it, kidneys really should not be a part of that, right?
1: You're right. And, and this is what it found. It found when comparing, doing a reporting odds ratio in the World Health Database, they wanted to know. How many times when remdesivir is put into the database with acute kidney failure, how many times does that show up compared to hydroxychloroquine treating COVID-19 and acute kidney failure? How about tocilamuzab and lopinavar? It's amazing. It's a 20-fold reporting of remdesivir over oh, the no. other three comparative drugs. Oh, man. And this and, and when this came out, everyone, every medical doctor around the world and scientists were reaching out to me going, you've been right all along. And I'm like, oh, All you got to do is read the research studies that he quoted in May. It already proved from the first study by Gilead with 53 COVID-19 patients, 30% of them in 5 to 10 days experienced multiple organ failure and kidney failure. And in New York, you know, you mentioned March 2020, that they weren't using remdesivir. I haven't found that out yet, but I'm going to look for it. I would not be surprised if they were already using it. And maybe they were calling it Vulcary. I don't know. Because Mm. what they were reporting was, what they were reporting was, we've never seen a respiratory virus do this in their press conferences. Every doctor they were interviewing in New York was saying, we've never seen a respiratory virus. When we start treating it on day three, four, and five, we see such severe acute kidney failure. We've never seen a virus attack the kidneys like this. We're not only short on ventilators, we're short on dialysis machines. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my goodness. We already know the drug causes acute kidney failure. You guys are actually pumping this into people you don't even know. So anyway, I would not be surprised if they'd already set the stage in New York for a massive die-off of majority of elderly at that point. It's disgusting. Right now, we did for the CMS database, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services for New York. We wanted to know, we have whistleblowers, four of them, that work for CMS. I wanted the data for New York alone. Of those 65 years and older who have been treated with remdesivir for COVID nineteen treatment in hospitals, how many of them died? It's 26.9 percent of all of them. Did you get that number? Twenty six point nine. And, and
0: what's what's the background rate for the all COVID hospitalizations to death? Do we have a the number for that? Higher
1: percentages. Yeah, I don't have that one. So but I do so, know. Remember, remember, this is significant. In May of 2020, Anthony Fauci asked our federal government to buy up all of the reserves from Gilead, remdesivir, and to not share it with another country till the end of 2020. Now, let's look at the statistics for the end of 2020. America only has less than 5% of the entire world's population, but this virus went to all 100% of the entire world, supposedly. But 95% of the entire world's population lives outside of the United States. And if they all got the same infection and it went worldwide, I would like to know... And I'd like your audience to tell me why at the end of 2020 did we have 550,000 dead Americans from supposedly COVID-19, and why did the rest of the world as a total, including America, why did the whole world only have 2.2 million we have less than 5% of the entire world's population, but we had but, 25% but, but of but let the me, entire world. me ch- I'm, I'm
0: just going to challenge that a little bit in the sense that a lot of that is these third world countries in Africa that didn't get it. And some theories is there on ivermectin, yeah, hydroxychloroquine, yeah. And, and whatever. But if you go to some of the Western countries, so you go to the UK, for most of the pandemic, we've actually been right next to each other in terms of deaths per capita. So the UK's are, yeah. are they using remdesivir there?
1: Uh, actually, Brazil is right now, and they're creeping up. India is not creeping up. Of course, they've switched over to Ivermectin, thank God. But my case has always been, if you look at the numbers, America had the greatest totals of all. This whole time, we still do. And um, we were the only country for the first year of the pandemic for deaths. We had the most, almost by man. double at the end of 2020. And we were all of our people, 99% of all of them, died in hospitals being treated with a drug called remdesivir that wasn't being shared with any other country. Um, so yes, this has been a huge thing I've tried to make people aware of, and you need to know right now in your audience, remdesivir is still the number one treatment protocol the standard in of care
0: today. Yeah, that is the standard today. of care. That is, and, and when they're not using that, they're using, and I can't pronounce with a B, the generic, but the, the brand name is Olumiant, which has a FDA black box warning for blood clots. So um you you can't make this stuff up, but um man, I wish we had more time. I'm gonna have to have you have back to discuss some of the other aspects of the uh, the the clot shots and pandemic. But I I do want to just augment the discussion on Remdesivir, broaden it a little bit. Um, just in general, um, could you just contrast what should be done versus what they are doing aside from the Remdesivir? Uh, when someone comes in with pulmonary distress, it's not like we've never had this before. I, I saw a testimony, one of the few good state legislative hearings done on this, and it wasn't on Remdesivir, but at least broadly, this pulmonary nurse just described what they would typically do with pulmonary distress and how rather than laying them down, they would get them up and moving and and the respiratory therapies, and you know, they'd always get their sats up. Whereas now it's just like they grab a hold of them, lay them down, high flow oxygen and eventually into the uh, uh, ventilator and then put them on morphine and pretty much transition them into the next world. What are some of the other things that they're doing in the hospital that you believe are criminal as opposed to what should be done with people in respiratory distress?
1: No, I went on, on stage in June. I was up in uh, Colorado, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I was up on stage, and this is exactly what I said. When the Delta variant started going throughout the country, I said, now you're seeing both young and older dying in hospitals? Yep. And I said, I haven't even been in a hospital. This is what I said. I haven't even been in a hospital. There was 2 million people streaming this live. And I went just like this. I want all of you to pull your loved one's record since April of 2021. If any of your loved ones have died in an ICU, I said, I want you to email me because I guarantee you they've done an additional drug to make this even more deadly as a treatment in hospitals to convince you the Delta variant is more dangerous. And this is what I said. I guarantee you they've got remdesivir combined with dexamethasone, which is a steroid. It actually has 4% of all people that are given that drug for five to 10 days will experience acute kidney failure. I said, so you go from 31% of acute kidney failure with remdesivir add dexamethasone. You're now to 35%. And I bet They've now added vancomycin as the antibiotic to treat them.
0: Wait, what do you say? To vancomycin?
1: bacterial pneumonia. Vancomycin. I said, I guarantee you they've Never added heard of that. vancomycin. Vancomycin is a really powerful antibiotic that causes acute kidney failure in 10% of all people who give it to you from 5 to 10 days. If you do it for that long. Wow. I said, I guarantee you, look at the medical records, get your medical records of your loved ones who have died, and send them to me. And I cannot even tell you it was crazy. I get to the hotel about an hour later. I already had four emails with, with hundreds of pages of medical records, highlighting those exact three were what were used. No
0: way. They they that, that a chance. Yeah, that's what they Vancomycin. They should be
1: using azithromycin, which is way safer than vancomycin. Uh-huh. It's super dangerous.
0: And they should vancomycin be using is methylpred. What my
1: father-in-law. Yeah.
0: Wait. What what happened to your father?
1: Vancomycin is the drug they poisoned my father-in-law with to death in early February 2020. It caused acute kidney failure in him. They flooded his lungs with water, exactly what remdesivir is doing. Early treatment is best. You, you, You mentioned Peter McCullough already here. We know. Ivermectin is way safer. You know what else? I don't know if you know this. This is very important for your audience. Medical doctors around the world, lawyers, senators are all reaching out to me, so excited about one graph. Have you actually seen that on the National Institutes of Health website that they have ivermectin listed as an approved or under evaluation treatment yep. for covid-19. Have yep. you seen that?
0: Yep, I did it I did a column so on that juxtaposing the two, actually three drugs um
1: Oh that's, where, oh, that's right. Peter McCullough actually reached and, out to you and said, talk to me about it because that's Yes,
0: yes. And, and, I, and he was place. like, he's all over this. And then we have nitazoxinide, which my audience is going to be able to get a hold of yeah. starting next week from a compound pharmacy. So those two as adjunct uh, treatments, yeah, I mean, so we got this.
1: Yep, it's phenomenal. So you, they're, you're being lied to, though, because when you go into the hospital, doctors are telling all of my audiences, when they say I've seen the, the videos of Dr. Artis about remdesivir, you're not doing that to me. They'll go like this, and they'll go, I want ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. They'll go, ivermectin's not approved. I've told everybody, make sure you print out that chart from the NIH, hand it to the doc, and say, stop lying to me. It's right here on the NIH's website, right underneath remdesivir. And on the same chart, on the second column next to remdesivir, and it's dosing, it actually lists acute liver failure and kidney failure (laughs) are side effects of this drug. It's right there. It's not listed as a side effect on ivermectin, just below there. So it's just disgusting. Right now, Medicare is paying out 20% bonuses to hospitals. They're bribing them to use remdesivir over any other drugs like are listed on that chart. 20% added bonus. They are bribing hospitals to injure, maim, and kill our elderly. And the side effects of the current vaccines and the boosters are doing the same thing. They are harming those 65 years and older at a greater rate than any other age group. Right now.
0: Yeah, because no one pays attention they- to them. They always pay attention to the younger ones. Oh, but we, we saw this yeah. from day one. I'm sure you remember. A lot of people forget there was a preprint from the Norwegians' medicines agency when they 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 did something very fascinating. They looked at the first hundred people out of the gate in, in a nursing home. First hundred people to die, just, you know, die of anything after having gotten the shot. And ten out of a hundred, it's massive, they concluded likely died of the shot, and they could only rule out less than half—about 44, 45—who did definitely did not die from the shot. It is unbelievable, but no one notices. Oh, they are going to die anyway. That's kind of their attitude. No one notices it. It's so you know they they thought of a virus. They concocted a virus that attacks your um, lungs and causes blood clots. Then they come up with shots that causes all sorts of cardiovascular blood disorders, get the heart involved. Then they come up with remdesivir that ropes in the kidneys and uh, and, the, and, and the liver. What's next? The pancreas? <laughs> I mean, they, they're just, and again, I don't know if you know about this, Dr. Artist, but again, um, Dr. Lin Finn clued me into this. I did an article on this. It's, it's, it's plain in sight. Olumiant. That's the only other treatment for the ICU that's on the NIH protocol. They use the barcinibib, whatever, however you pronounce that. But alumi- I-, I call it alumiant, um, made by Eli Lilly. It has an FDA black box warning for blood clots while you're trying to deal with pulmonary embolisms. You can't make this stuff up. I mean, it's I wouldn't I would have dismissed you. I would have like said you're you know there's no way you're right. But then when I saw the Illumiant thing, it's like there's nothing they prescribe that doesn't target your most vulnerable organ at the most vulnerable point of the virus. It's, it's, you, you couldn't, it's not malpractice. There's never been malpractice like that. It's actually perfect practice. Uh, you have to know what you're doing to, to have concocted this. Um, man, is this maddening. I, I wish you wouldn't have come on. I wish, I wish we'd be ignorant um, and not know about this. And, you know, you know, we pink unicorns <laughs> well, lollipops, this. man. No kidding.
1: It, ignorance is not always bliss though, my buddy, my friend. All right. So, Let me tell you also, October 12th, I'm sure you've seen this chart. Me and Dr. McCullough were on InfoWars going all over this chart when it came out. October 12th on CDC's website. Look up CDC breakthrough cases October 12th. This is only like eight days ago, nine days ago. Breakthrough cases. Do you know what age groups right now in America we are vaccinating for COVID-19? Do you know the ages? It's 12 and older. Okay, 12 years old and older we are currently vaccinating all americans 12 years old and older breakthrough cases are defined as people who've been fully vaccinated and then they got covid 19 anyway okay they have a report on october 12th of breakthrough cases and what are the percentages of deaths from those breakout cases what are the age groups in the highest percentages have you seen this yet
0: i have not i i think dr mccullough sent it to me but but yeah can you tell our audience
1: Sure. Look at the chart. It's pretty disgusting. There's 7,165 deaths from breakthrough cases that they are evaluating in this small sample group at the CDC. Of all people, those 65 years and older, it represents 85% of the total are 65 years and older breakthrough cases. So are the boosters more dangerous? I mean, are these vaccines more dangerous for the elderly? Obviously, 85% are from that age range. That means 15% of all deaths reported to the CDC from breakthrough viral cases of COVID-19 after being fully vaccinated. Only 15% are 65 years down to 12 years old. It also states that 57% of all of them are males. And Dr. McCullough and I were on a show together, on my show actually, two days ago. And we talked about this. There's a direct connection to the vaccines going into males, raising what is called androgen hormones at deadly levels that accelerate the yep. COVID infection and the immune response.
0: Yep, our audience is very and familiar with at, that because we just had Dr. Yep. Flavio from Brazil, the endocrinologist, on, and he was very into using antiandrogens to fight this. So, yeah, we're very clued into that, that that really greases the skids for the tempers 2 ACE-2 binding. Yes,
1: yes, because androgens i looked at Nicola and i went like this you know what of all the things i've looked at i did not know that Nicola on my show i said i didn't know that and i looked at him and i said do you know that zinc is an anti-androgen mineral
0: I in did fact, not zinc
1: deficiency zinc deficiency causes androgen hormones like estrogen and testosterone to go elevated above normal levels i said in fact i created an acne system underneath my name a year and a half ago the primary component is zinc why Estrogen dominance, which is an androgen hormone, when that skyrockets in puberty, above normal, is when you get all the oil breakouts in your skin called Mm. acne. All you got to do is use zinc to actually drop the estrogen levels. And I went just like this. We have been chirping for two years now the importance of having zinc as a defense in your body supplemented to help fight the replication process of all viruses. Zinc stops it. I said, Peter McCullough. I had no idea that there was an androgen connection to the actual wow. pandemic or this COVID-19 issue. And I said, I just want my audience to know, this is exactly what I did. I just turned to the camera and I said, I have been telling all of you to do a hundred milligrams of zinc every day. And that ain't changing. I've been telling you that for two years. It's 50 milligrams minimum for teenagers and children, a hundred milligrams for adults. It'll protect against the androgen dominance. And Peter McCullough is looking at me and I said, did you know this about zinc? And he goes, no, I had no idea. And I was like, this proves that zinc is phenomenal, and this is why you got to do it. And this is why you got to use it. And That's just for our stuff is so
0: good. for our audience at DrArtistShow.com, uh, I mean, this is some of your products you actually produce, uh, um, anti acne uh, products. So you're very familiar with this. Um, we are we are pretty much out of time here. I would just I would just caution. I've been told if you are taking that much zinc, you should have a little bit of copper just to throw in there, um, so you don't get a copper deficiency. Um, but... I recommend
1: copper to everybody. It's the number one cause of uh, capillary and blood vessel fragility.
0: Mm. How, how, how so, much? Yes. How, how much do you think people should take? Like how and how often? Do you have a rough estimate? Man,
1: co- copper is a very small amount. If you look at selenium, for example, it's 200 micrograms. It's mm-hmm. less than a milligram a day. Copper is going to be very similar. Very small doses, less than a milligram. You don't need very much. The most would be one milligram a day. Anything below there is even better.
0: Yeah, like so the, like 200 micrograms. Okay, that sounds great. We are out of time. We got to do a whole nother show on the other side of this, but this was very riveting. Look, it's better to be knowledgeable and be informed. Folks, this is why it's all about early treatment. Dr. Artist, I really look forward to coming back. Um, I look forward to coming on to your show, so DrArtisShow.com on Telegram as well. Thank you so much for joining us. And folks, we are pretty much out of time, but I do just want to end off. This is a perfect transition into early treatment. Um, there's certainly a lot to digest there. Again, take notes, go back, listen to it. He's very good at that. He will cite you everything. You know, you think he's crazy? Um, he'll he'll give you the citations. And again, I I would have thought he was crazy. I would have thought I'm crazy, even a year ago, year and a half ago, but. It all fits together. I have no I have no other way to explain this. Those who just focused on the lockdowns and the mask and whatever, they don't... That's not enough. If you never got into the fact that they are maniacally persecuting early treatment, you missed the point. Once you see that, everything else makes sense. And the darkness just opens up even more. And it is, it is shocking the times we're living in. God help us. Um... And and look, I, I still do believe, you know, if you've noticed, we'll bring on different guests and each one will have their obsession. You know, whether it's a treatment, whether it's this, it's all about this, all about that. I'm kind of balanced and I take it all in. Um, you know, the vi- I still think, I mean, the virus is very deadly. I do believe, you know, you said something about Delta. They're, they're probably using more stuff now to make it even worse. But I do think it is actually the vaccine doing that, I think. So it, it is actually worse. Um, but I think they're all true at the same time. Um, you need treatment because you could die from this without treatment. But it's also true some people wouldn't have died, and the remdesivir killed them. Um, uh, this other this other antibiotic, I, I didn't know about that. But he he's saying that they're using that and that's dangerous. Um, I want to look into that. So you know, help me research this. There's a lot to put together from that show. Till tomorrow, till next week. We're going we're gonna to keep charging ahead. We're going to get better every week at this. God bless you all. Pass this on to everyone. And thank you for listening.